Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I'd just say that in the 90s, without a doubt, what Tom did at Nebraska was the most dominant thing in college football. One of the greatest ever. His programs at Nebraska, I mean, they were so strong. Dear Lord, the battles we go through life. Everybody said, well, he can't win the big one. I never won a national champ. He can't win the big one. I always thought Coach got a bad rap. You know, he's Tom Osborne. He's a legend. Well, there was a lot of angst. There was a sense of urgency. We had a lot to prove. A chance to equal our strike. A chance to do it there. If we should win, let it be by the code. And he hooked and left. Florida State wins. If we should lose, we'll stand by the road. And cheers to winners go by. It was hard. We lost it all, man. We that game. It took from everybody. We started to make much more select choices with our recruits. We gotta go out there and show everybody what we can do. The players that we recruited were the type of players that you're gonna have to kill them to beat them. You talking about one of the most reckless classes ever. And there was times where I even thought about leaving. Tommy had to sit on the sideline and watch Brooke. Touchdown by Chuck Berenger. Wait a minute, this is more serious than thought it was. I, I can die from this. Let's talk about the elephant in the room on the team. It was some racial separation between the team. Lawrence Phillips turned himself into Lincoln Police 14 We were worried about Tom, the stress he was under. Then the day that changed everybody's life. Uh, see the burnt down uh, plane, he obviously knew the results. We went out there to the crash site, and so I called his mom. That's probably the hardest call I ever made. Having the moments where everybody doubted us, that we weren't going to make it back. Is what you do next after that. Nobody thought we had a chance to win. We silenced every critic out there. This isn't a story about the straight and narrow. At times, it was downright nasty. But this is our story. Man, I still get goosebumps seeing that trailer, and I've seen the movie twice. <laughs> Welcome to episode number 50 of Generation Red. 50, Scott. Who would have thought we would have gotten 50 in the can by now? But we have. This is the Kettle Corn of Husker Fan Podcast, where we try to be it's sweet, but at times we get a little bit salty. And holy shit, 
The Sooners showed up to Memorial Stadium in a very salty mood and proceeded to kick the sodium, I know, bad joke, out of the black shirtless Husker defense and pretty much throttled what had been a fairly prolific Big Red offense on their way to a dominating 49-14 win, which ultimately led to the firing of defensive coordinator Eric Shenander unheard of mid-season, much less four games in. Uh, special teams coordinator uh, Bill Bush will now take over as the interim DC as we look forward to what the rest of 2022 has in store. And as Clubber Lang so eloquently put it just prior to the final fight sequence in Rocky Three, for me, the forecast for the rest of the Joseph-led season is pain. Not his fault, of course. It kind of sucks when you're handed... When you're dealt this pile of crap-smeared jokers, if you ask me, here's hoping he can figure out how to turn them all aces. But before we get too depressed, we'd first like to take a fond trip down memory lane. As you saw in the trailer that we used to kick off the show, May of this year saw part one of a brand new two-part Husker documentary released in Nebraska called Day by Day. Scott and I have seen it. I've seen it twice, uh, once with my wife, once with Scott. And uh, we are honored to have in the studio tonight, uh, Justin LaPara, the director of that documentary. Thanks so much for joining us tonight, sir. And welcome Thank to Generation guys. Red. Thank you. You bet, man. You bet. It's awesome having you. You're just hanging out in the Mile High City tonight, huh? What's got you in, in, in that area of the country? Yeah, so we're based out of Denver. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so it's kind of nice when we were mm. doing the documentary. It wasn't too far away to travel back and forth to Nebraska, so. All right, wow. that's awesome. That's awesome. How did you get into directing, Justin? What so, what kind of got you into that? Yeah, I always wanted to do it since I was a kid, and so I ended up going to school at first in Colorado and then out in California and then uh, interned at Warner Brothers for a couple big producers and kind of worked my way up that way and um, working for free for a long time and then and finally getting some good jobs through that and then started developing and producing my own documentaries. Um, I had an idea years ago for a, a movie for Warner Brothers, and and we were trying to script it and put it all together, and realized it might work better as a documentary. And so that kind of got that rolling. And then it's always been sports for me; that's a passion. So I've stuck with sports documentaries specifically. What awesome. uh, before? Well, go ahead, Scott. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, what was it like? Um, I haven't seen it yet. Um, I meant to do that before we started this podcast. Um, but what was it like working in, uh, did you work in Papua New Guinea, working with your critically acclaimed film, Isolated, or your documentary or live experience there? Did you actually go there? Yeah, so that one I was heavily involved in in filming that and putting that that trip together. And yeah, so I was out there in the jungle uh, living off the jungle for quite a while to, to film that one. We actually went back three times to that one. And yeah, that was oh, wow. an interesting experience because there's a, we, you know, we went there to document surfing and kind of what it takes for these surfers that travel over the world to find the greatest waves. What are they willing to go through? So we wanted to see, we put a group of surfers in an area that had never really been explored for surfing and and kind of document what they would, how far they'd be willing to go to, to find these waves and then a full on genocide in the area. So we totally wow. pivoted and started documenting that and not the safest of trips, but it was a, it was a great experience. I, I think the film at least got a little bit of the message out, hopefully to the world about what's going on over there. So it was a, it was a good experience. Yes. That's specifically why I really wanted to check it out. And I, I promise I will. 
um, it really struck me as, as fascinating because I understand kind of the thrill aspect that surfers like to go through in order to get the most robust waves that they can possibly find. And it's, it's like that for a lot of people, rock climbers and mountain bikers. And I mean, even hikers, people that like going hiking, they go to insane heights, quite literally, um, to go experience <laughs> some of those things. And so for you being a, uh, a part of that, what was the most profound experience you had with the uh, making of that film? I think, um, man, there's so many different <laughs> moments in there from, you know, interviewing people that actually, a person that actually told you what different people taste like, <laughs> literally, oh, <wow. laughs> um, to, you know, but, but traveling and actually staying, we stayed in the, in with the tribes. And so you totally begin to become immersed in their culture. And then also you're living the way they do. And so your body gets pushed to a whole different level. Um, hmm. and it becomes, and then when you have, you know, when you're filming in an area that's a media dead zone and finding out, you know, basically if we get arrested for filming in this region, you know, we may be going to prison for a long, long time. And so having to do that under the radar. So you are living, you are in the moment. I, I, I guess the thing I would say is it was one of those moments where you never felt more alive because every decision that you made could be a life or death decision. And so that was I, you know, so the whole trip as a whole was pretty profound in that way from from running from the mm. at times to, you know, just always on edge and trying to keep my crew and and the, the guys, the surfers safe as well as still try to get as much information sure. out there to the to the public about what's going on. So. Well, then I, I definitely look forward to seeing it. I've got it in my uh, Amazon Prime uh uh, uh, like shoot, you got it in my cart. There we go. I've got it in the cart. <laughs> I've been meaning to get it, um, especially before this, but life happens as I'm sure, you know, and, um, yeah, so I, I do look forward to seeing it and all the reviews that I see about it are, are pretty, are pretty well contrasting to, um, what, what you've described. And so I look forward to seeing that because you guys made that back in what 2013, yeah, we, we wrapped it in 2013. We started that process of that movie in 2010. So it took us about three years to make it, going back and forth and getting all wow. wow. Yeah. That's, wow, crazy. that's crazy. And the boil, kind of like day by day, right? It's taken quite a few years to get that in the can, hasn't it? Didn't you start that back in 2018? How did that start, by the way? Yeah, we started in 2019. And, um, okay. Oh. <laughs> oh, we lost him. He go bye bye. <laughs> All right. Well, well, I guess we're on our own for a moment. <laughs> yes. I imagine he'll be back eventually. Uh, but yeah, we were about to ask him how he got into filming, and now he's back. And here we go. Let's see. Ooh, maybe, maybe. There we maybe. are. There he is. He's back. You must uh, that good old Denver internet, right? Yeah. Um, yes. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of near the airport, so I wonder if a plane. I don't know what that was. So sorry about that, guys. <laughs> no, you're good, buddy. You're good. Not a problem. 
um, yeah, 2019 is when you said that the project started. And now I kind of remember that because that was kind of a trailer or whatever. And a bunch of players got together and talked about it before that fateful Colorado game in Boulder that year, right? Right, right. Yeah, that was yeah. the very early stages. Basically, um, so, you know, the, the Nebraska, that, that program and what, ha- what went on there, um, obviously mm-hmm. growing up and, and watching that all go down, I was actually – I grew up in Colorado, so I was a big Colorado fan. That's actually when they were pretty decent. Um, and Nebraska was the team that would always knock them off. You know, that was the time when Colorado was still trying to compete for national championships as well. And and it was always Nebraska that had their number. So the, as a Colorado fan, you knew everything about Tommy Frazier, Tom Osborne. You respected them because you knew they were going to beat you every mm-hmm. year. Kind of like probably what it was like in the 80s and or in the seventies with Oklahoma, you know? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you knew a lot about the team, but you also respected them. And, and so, you know, when I really started to get into documentaries and specifically sports documentaries, I always wondered why is this story about the 95, initially the 95 team never been told. I mean, from obviously some very political uh, issues that came up from the Lawrence Phillips stuff to the tragedy. Right. And, um, and basically um, how it all kind of got put together was Josh Davis, who played in Nebraska. He went to high school with me and we were really good friends. And so um, we got together and I just said, you know, how come this movie hasn't been done? And, and he kind of thought the same thing and said, you know, I can, I can round up these guys. And so we, we rounded up the guys. We got Mark Rungart, who was also a former player at Nebraska. And he's like, well, hey, I got, I got investors out here in Nebraska. <laughs> oh, shit. oh man of course good old denver good old denver 5g or 4g or whatever it is that he's on <laughs> hopefully he'll yes it he'll sounds like his internet in is second. yeah struggling to yeah if he if he gets back on i'll just have him turn off his camera that'll probably help at least keep an audio signal um yeah yeah but yeah that was that was what i thought i thought that's kind of what i heard the story was way back in the day and um <laughs> he's back we hope um justin why don't we try having you just turn can you turn off your video i yeah, think there's a way to do that on the phone that might help you keep the signal a little better um yeah, sorry about that, guys. <laughs> no you're good. good you're good this is worth it this is absolutely worth it so yeah. um that's kind of I, <laughs> I think you lost me right about the time Josh Davis got involved and he got a bunch of guys involved and then you kind of dropped out at that point. <laughs> right. So, so we had Mark <laughs> Brungart get involved. He's also a, a, a former Nebraska player. And so mm-hmm. he, he had the guys that he knew that could help kind of fund this to get it going. Um, and so we kind of all just came together to build something together and, and that's where it all started. And, and then it took a crazy, you know, it went from, you know, okay, I think we have a solid movie here to wait. We can't tell this movie in, in one movie. We have to do it in two. Yeah. And then it became, you know, well, do we try to even make this a series and go for six full hour episodes? Um, uh-huh. And so we built it all the way up there. And um, with COVID, that delayed a lot of things. But um, we finally got it down to two two-hour movies. So they are longer, but I think the story is important. And um, you really can't, you know, we, I've tried to cut things and it's just, there's too much to this story that has to be told. And 
And so, but that's kind of how it all kind of came together. It was a passion, uh, 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 labor of love for all of us and just a passion project. And I think it's, um, you know, it's not just supposed to be for Nebraska fans. It's really built to be, it's a, it's, it's about the, the greatest, still the greatest college football team in history being the 95 team. It's about, but what it, Oh, this is going to be a struggle, it looks like. <laughs> Vlushed you again, Justin. I don't know if you can hear me or whatever, but uh, oh my. Um, I don't know if you have Wi-Fi where you're at that you can connect to, but um, hmm. yikey shnikes, we lost his audio. Or maybe he muted himself by accident. Oh, oh now he's got, back. We've got two. Now we've got two, yes. Which one is the real one? Two ah, Justins. There we go. Which Justin is the real Justin? There you're back. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on now. I'm moving all around the house trying to see what the heck is uh, up with this internet. Um, so we have high speed here. So I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I don't know why it keeps. Oh, it's fine. It's, it's good, man. It's, it's Sometimes things can get a little wonky when you're going across telephone lines and cell towers and all that good stuff. But um, you know what, Scott? I don't even remember where he left off at. Do you? <laughs> uh, about, he said it was about a four-hour deal i think at that point and uh let's get into uh, real quick otherwise you'll be here all night <laughs> Got a couple of the other other questions you know we saw especially for me watching some of the emotions of the players like like Dwayne harris i remember watching him play in that 94 uh orange bowl against florida state and you saw him talking about that. You see the tears streaking down his face. What was it like talking to those guys that some of them got to play and win a title in 94, but a lot of them, like Trev Alberts, did not? What was it like talking to some of those guys? Yeah, I mean, uh, Corey Dixon is another one. Another yeah, he returned that punt that got called back, right? <laughs> right. So, yeah, it was um, – I think those guys, they – they still take a lot of pride for what they did. I think they know being on that 93 team, like, yeah, we could have had three in a row, but they also know we set this up. Like we set the tone for what was going to come. We, we built these younger guys that were going to come up and play. We, we built that, that we, we set the expectations. And, mm. and I think they do have a lot of pride for what they did because it was unfortunate that 93 game and, and heartbreaking as we all saw, you know, yeah. um, and even yeah. Bobby Bowden saying, you know, they flat out were better than us that night. It just, the ball bounced just the right way. And of course, obviously some uh, questionable calls definitely helped. Controversy for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it was incredible talking to those guys and the emotion. It is crazy. Um, this many years later, Troy Dumas and, uh, Dwayne Harris, some of the toughest guys on the defense, uh, sitting there and talking to them. And the second you go into that Florida State game, both hey, of them just yeah, tears, just yes. unbelievable. I was I was shocked, but um, it still lives with them. They still haven't gotten over that. Yeah, Scott, you have any question at all at this point? No, not not at <laughs> okay. this moment. Um, <laughs> well, you, you guys can... pretty much covered. Yeah. So how? You know, I've seen it twice, so I know it's been all over the place. How has part one uh, performed so far? And have you been able to actually cover the cost of at least making the first part of the documentary at this point? 
No, we're, we're, we're not close to covering the cost yet, but we got a lot more phases to go. We've been obviously limited in theatrical right now. Um, sure. and we wanted to do it that way. We wanted to make sure that Nebraska fans um, got a chance to see it. We've been, you know, we're still building theatrical releases around the country because obviously there's Nebraska fans all over the world that we need to get this to. Um, mm-hmm. But it's done really well. Thanks to the Nebraska fan. I mean, it's, we're getting really good reviews, really good feedback, which is awesome that everybody's really enjoying it. That's always goal number one is make sure you make a good movie. You know, that's always the hardest part. Um, but so that, so the, the support and the, has been there for sure. And that's what we're really happy about. So that's kind of where we're at. We're still very early in the stages. So, um, but it's, it's doing really well. Like we're really happy. Hastings, did a bunch of showings out there and, and sold out practically every night, which was really cool. Um, yeah. Considering all the movies that are out there. And people that was one of the, that. that was one of the places I went and saw it. So we lived in grand Island for most of, most of our time here in Nebraska and then moved to Lincoln just recently, but we went out to Hastings to, we were doing furniture shopping. So <laughs> we thought, nice. well, if we're going to buy spend a bunch of money on furniture, let's just spend a few bucks and go see day by day. Cause my wife wanted to see it. And she's always told me I and my crazy fandom has made her hate Husker football in many ways. Uh, But at the same time, she saw that doc and she goes, yep, I remember. I remember that was absolutely incredible. And the way you guys did it was so amazing, too. Um, So you said you're in the middle of a lot of of some very early stages. What stage and when do you think? that part one might hit the streaming and downloading platforms for folks who just might not get a chance to get to a theater to see it somewhere. Yeah. So that's going to happen very soon. Cool. I can't can't give dates yet because I don't, we don't have dates locked in yet, but we're working really hard right now to, to finalize and get that all mapped out. Um, And then it'll, but yeah, that, cause we, we know that the fans are definitely wanting to see it and, and they, you know, so we're trying to open up the streaming really, really fast here. So um, hopefully within actually, we're thinking within a, within a month or two, it'll, it'll nice. be able to stream. So, yeah. Very, very nice. And are we looking at about the same price to stream it or download it as what we paid for a ticket to go see it? Because I would pay that again just to download it and have it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah nice. Nice. Well, no. kind of the reason... Oh, go ahead, Scott. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to jump on you. Oh, you're fine. Um, no, my, my overall, just as before we go into uh, talking about, uh, I guess, part two. Um, yeah, I just wanted to, I guess, give you some praise here that when watching that film, as I kind of, we before we hit the record button here, um, I did just briefly tell you, and, and I want to tell you again, because, you know, got to have it recorded and everything, but <laughs> it was it was such a, a profound experience for me getting to see this film and get some contextual importance to what the 90s meant to not only Husker Nation, but from a national landscape perspective. Um, and then also from the individuals that were a part of the filmmaking and a part of those teams, especially, and what foundation they set for these teams to be successful. Um, and so it was not only was it great for me to just absorb that information, but the way that it was done, like yep. I remember sitting there in the theater, like 
praying that it wasn't about to end because I was just so engaged and so just drawn into it. Granted, I am biased because I'm a, I'm just a huge Husker fan. My dad raised me right, I guess. Um, And so it was a few things I did, right? (laughs) So I was, I was zoned in and I'm sitting there like, this is like, top tier like this is i if mm-hmm. this were on you know espn or you know uh, big 10 network or whatever whatever mainstream uh sports uh uh outlet that there is like i i wouldn't even have to be a husker fan to enjoy that because it'd be like holy crap this is the stuff that they went through especially mm-hmm. for you know people that lived through it they would be like oh wow yeah i knew that nebraska had some controversy i knew nebraska was a good team i knew they went through a lot of stuff but this stuff is nuts like it i just like to i I was just like when i was sitting there in the theater i'm like god the world needs to see this they need to see it like today Um, so i'm really excited to see it come to a streaming platform so that i can sit down with my wife because she doesn't get it at all she doesn't get why i'm a husker (laughs) fan Cause we've been married for two years and she's known me for three years and, and it's if, been pain. Yes. It's been nothing but pain where it's like, I'm so excited for Husker football. And then I just come home and I'm like, we suck. Um, <laughs> so it's like, why are you, why are you a fan? It's like, cause I just, I just love corn Husker football. And, and from what I've seen before, I mean, there are Alabama fans out there that remember bear Bryant. And then there was kind of a dead period. And then they got Nick Saban and they were like, thank God. I, you know, I raised my kids. Right. Cause they grew up watching the pain of post Bryant era. And then they got to go right into a Nick Saban era. And now they're just sitting happy. So I'm just kind of rolling the dice here right now. It's like, well, maybe, maybe we'll get our Nick Saban here soon. Yeah, exactly. Maybe someday, maybe someday. For people Absolutely. like my wife or my friends or people that I knew uh, from across the country when I lived in different parts of the country and even the world, you know, it's like I would love to just buy it and share it with friends and be like, yo, check this out. This is why I'm a Husker fan. So I really look forward to uh, when that releases. Well, thank you, guys. It means a lot for sure. I mean, that was the goal. And, and the, the goal is that anybody, whether you're even a sports fan, can enjoy and appreciate the film because it, it's bigger. It's it, the, this movie, as you guys probably noticed the, for movie one, it, it's, it's more than just about a Nebraska football team. It's about what the message of, of what it, it, it the, the message is much bigger than just a football team, right? It's, it's almost yes. a life, you know, yeah. any phase of life, you can take something away, hopefully from the movie and apply it to your own life. Yes. Well, yeah. and that's, that's, that's kind of how I, that's how I kind of walked away with it was, it was just like, there are so many values to be taken out of this film. And there's so many, like mm-hmm. you can, you can put, you can empathize and put yourself in each one of their positions and be like, like what you said earlier, it's like, yeah, it kind of sucked how the 1993 season ended with their uh, orange bowl against uh, Florida state. But you can also look at it through a positive light. It's like, well, the 1994, 1995, and 96, 97 teams, they needed that. They needed that foundation built for them. They, Rome wasn't built in a day, as they say. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, was it a necessary evil? Yeah, it kind of was. Um, 
and I just like, like you said, you know, like I, anybody can watch this film and enjoy it. Like I had my wife sit down with me and watch American underdog, the Kurt Warner story. Mm-hmm. And Good she movie. Had no idea about Kurt Warner. She doesn't pay attention to football at all. And by the end of the movie, she was like, that was a fantastic movie. Even though I don't mm-hmm. know anything about football. It was a crazy yeah. story. And that was kind of how, that was kind of how I, I could, I could compare it to that. Like it's, yep. you don't, you don't have to know Husker football to, to get how profound of a story it was. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's move on into talking a little bit about part two, which was kind of the whole genesis of actually ending up with you on the show. Justin, I happened to reach out to uh, your day by day movie Twitter account. I don't know if that's you that does that or other people, but, uh, yeah, yeah, but I just yeah. happened to slide into their DMS as the young kids say these days and, <laughs> and asked, Hey, um, what's the impact of uh, head coach Scott Frost getting fired going to have on um, part two and whether or not you're going to have to change the final cut or any of that stuff. So we'll get into that. But um, before we get to that spot, we need to talk about 1995 a little bit, as you said, greatest Husker, greatest college football team in history, which pisses ESPN off to no, no end, which I absolutely love. Um, Although we know, you know, and we know back then, there was a lot of stuff going on with that team. You had obviously the stuff with Lawrence Phillips and then some similar allegations came out like a few days later against Damon Benning, which ended up being not true. And of course you had Christian Peter being accused of sexual assault by someone. And then Grant Wistrom showing up at the Lombardi awards ceremony with a black guy because he was defending a young lady in a bar. Um, good Lord, without having to give up too much about part two away, are some of those issues dressed from the, the point of view of the players themselves, as well as some of their teammates and coaches at that time in this part? Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the guys definitely don't steer away from it. And, and um, very good. much, uh, movie two, hold on. You know, if you, if you enjoyed movie one, then movie two is, is quite a ride. Uh, it, it cranks, it gets ramped up. You know, there's not many times where you do like a sequel to per se, and it turns out maybe better. Um, I'm not saying better; it's it's a different movie altogether, but it is intense. Um, okay. And uh, but yes, and the big part is because of a lot of the storylines that came out of '95. Another one was Riley Washington, who was falsely accused of shooting um, at a yep. quick, right. quick shot, and. Um, and he, we even do sit down with Riley Washington and go over what that, how that, what happened there, and the impact that had on. Him. There he goes. <laughs> and I had a feeling that was about to happen based on what was going on with this audio, folks. We are so sorry that Justin's having some issues with his connection, but we'll get him back here hopefully in a few minutes and uh, <laughs> continue the story. Um, because we were really get about to get into the good stuff, especially with. Um, we're talking about Brooke because that one still kicks me dead in the gut um, as well yeah. as uh, the way Lawrence Phillips life ended. Uh, but we'll just kind of sit here and hang out and see if Justin's able to get a better connection, get back with us. And looks like speak of the devil and the devil appears. Hey, bud. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it's okay this information is worth it to me absolutely worth it to me I'm and i'm sure it will be cliffhangers that's all guys trying to keep the that's what it is the truth yeah. comes out you, you were you were just finished talking about riley washington um, right 
And yes. I, I don't know where you were going next after that. I thought you were heading a different direction, but was yeah, that, so that all you had to say about that or? Yeah, we were just, you know, so yeah, we, we sit down with all the guys and go really direct. Um, obviously um, the Lawrence Phillips one is, is interesting because you had a lot of people, some guys that really did not want to talk about that and sure. other guys that did. Um, and, um, but it, it was very important. It's really important in, in telling of accurate story. And what you're going to get is it's, it's just, we approach it from all the angles of what was going on. And, and, um, cool. it was a, it was a tough subject to cover. Um, yeah. but we didn't want to shy away from it. And, and so, yeah, we tackled a lot of those issues and, and how that impacted the team for sure. So, um, Transitioning over to the death of, of Brooke Beringer at the end of that 95 season, uh, I saw the tra- in the trailer the emotion on the face of his former quarterback coach, Turner Gill. I can only imagine what that interview was like. Um, and I admit it was really hard to watch the footage of him playing in part one because that kicked me in the gut. And it still hurts to just say his name to this day because of how much he meant to the team. I can only imagine the emotion was just as raw for the players as they looked back on what happened with Brooke. I imagine there's quite a bit of time devoted to to that particular time in <laughs> Husker history, as Mr. Justin Lapara is still unable to maintain a decent connection. Lord in heaven, have mercy. Let us make this work. <laughs> and I can't hear you now. Oh, there you uh, are. I'm I just, think I wonder some of it if it isn't my internet because you're pixelated like crazy and usually you aren't. So, oops. Oh, there well, we go. I've I've got I've got really bad internet right now. I don't know what it's been in the last like three weeks for me. I I keep getting bad internet connection. I think I might just need to have an Ethernet hookup. That's yeah. what I've been doing. That's what I've been doing. Uh, Justin, yeah, I just finished waxing eloquent about Brooke. <laughs> so what was it like talking to those guys about that guy? Cause so, he meant so much to everybody. Yeah, it was, it, it was tough. They, you know, um, you know, it's a, you know, his best friends, like, you know, from Aaron Graham to a lot of those guys that, you know, it's very tough for them to talk about it, but they, they, they wanted to make sure his story was told and that sure. he understood who he was. So there was a lot of pride in, telling that story and um and it's so important to obviously the 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 university not just the football team but what he represents to the state to the university yeah. to the and his story is so important and i'd love to see actually you know turn into a, a hollywood movie about about what what he accomplished it's greater than any rudy or any other sports story i think out there about the impact he made when he wasn't even playing it's, right. it's incredible you know it was here you know he's supposed to go on to the nfl and that's going to be mm-hmm. his great moment as ron brown kind of speaks to but it was yeah. actually lived out in that 95 season when he wasn't playing and and it's uh it's just yeah it, his story is um it's heartbreaking um but what he was at a, such a young age think how young he was the impact he still has on all of us that know the story. Um, it's, it changed, you know, he changes, he's changed so many lives. We don't have no idea how many lives he's changed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. I think, um, 
Brooke's story is one of those that, you know, I'll never forget is selflessness and being a teammate. And when it, when he was needed, he was always there and he was, you know, and he always performed. I remember that Michigan state game when Tommy went out with that deep thigh bruise and he just came in like, like he was warmed up already and he performed outstanding and it didn't hurt that Lawrence went for what, two ten or something in that game. So, <laughs> you know, as, as, as tragic as losing Brooke is, uh, for me, when I heard what happened uh, to Lawrence Phillips, um, him taking his own life in his prison cell, um, did you tackle that topic at all? Was that something that the guys talked about? Oops. And, of course, the most poignant conversation of them all. <laughs> oh, Scott, it's been a night, hasn't it? I, uh, I feel bad for him. Growing pains as a podcast. Yep. I feel like I, I feel bad for Justin because I know he desperately wants to talk about this stuff, and uh, technology is just not cooperating. And who knows? Maybe the devil doesn't want people to hear what he has to say either, because <laughs> it's oh, good no. stuff, you know. Uh, but um, yeah, yeah, that's so strange. I wonder. I, I wonder what the what the deal is with um with just the internet. I mean, I just I think one of the things that I just did, and I could be wrong. It could just be an anecdote, but I changed from logic capture to uh, just like raw. Um, Your raw camera feed. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. I switched it up. Hopefully, this works a little bit better. I'm on it. Damn, that sounds really good. It sounds yeah, real you, good. Yeah, you sound okay. you sound crystal clear. Okay, perfect. Got to a different location. And <laughs> hopefully, yeah, hopefully it stays stays yeah, exactly. that way. And the cell phone gremlins don't intervene. Um, <laughs> so just, there, so here we go. Uh, yeah, I was just finishing up asking about uh, what part uh, the end of Lawrence Phillips' life plays in the documentary, if any. Yes. So, um, and you're going to see a lot of emotion from guys like Clinton Childs, who yeah. one of his best friends. And, you you yeah. know, that was the other thing is like, you know, they, they even did a movie about Lawrence Phillips. Joe Pine did um, yeah. tell him his story. And the big thing we wanted to do is like, you can, you can use some of these stories as, you know, uh, as conflict pieces to, to, to the film and, and really kind of just, you know, use a, person's story to kind of build your own, you know, whatever the, the big picture is of the story. And what we didn't want to do is do that where we don't, if, if we're going to go into Lawrence Phillips, then let's go into Lawrence Phillips and let's tell his full story. And so you're yeah. going to hear another side of about Lawrence Phillips that maybe you haven't heard about from these Ooh. other stars. Um, you're going to hear about that mm. with even hopefully with Brooke, you're going to see, Brooke was not, you know, he's the, he was, a you know, I'd never met him personally, but you know, he comes off very nice and maybe you don't even think like, Oh, you know, he's, he's kind of, you know, humble and, the, and, but no, this guy was a fierce competitor. competitor. Yeah. And he hate, I mean, him and Tommy did not like each other. Why? Right. Because he wants his job. So mm. there's hopefully you getting that side of these, these guys as well, the, the real story, the full story. And that was the big thing for, for Tom Osborne was, um, he wanted to make sure if we're going to tell this story, he's like, just tell it accurately. Just tell the real story. Um, nice. And that was the big, big thing. And that's hopefully what we did. Um, I just want to, I just want to ask, I know we, I know we've got a few more questions for you, but how difficult was it trying to balance out 
not only getting all of the information from all of the players and and how contrasting that's got to be at times, uh, sometimes polar opposite accounts of of individual character or experiences. Um, how difficult was it trying to be fair when it comes to? Because I mean, obviously you've got four hours of, of film time total between these two parts, but I'm sure you had to hash out probably eight times that in actual interview. I imagine I could be wrong. Um, but how difficult was it to, to really tell these stories from a director's standpoint, because you, you want to include all the information, but time constraint wise, you can't, um, so I guess I guess it's a two part question. How much filming did you guys do and how hard was it trying to figure out how to to accurately portray the stories, no matter how difficult it was to hear different contrasts? Damn, what the hell did I write eleven questions for? That was the best question of the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did we did over a hundred hours. Holy shit. Okay. I was being optimistic with uh, eight, like eight or 12 times. Holy crap. Yeah. Tom Osborne went four hours alone, you know, Um, some of the guys, you know, Ron Brown, he went, you know, four hours. We had a couple guys that went, you know, the shortest anybody would go is probably an hour. And so, and then plus the round tables, which, which were long, but um, Mm -hmm. it was, it, so the goal was, Okay, it's it's their story. So the the goal was just try to capture everything that went on, capture all the stories, and really try to tell it as best as you can in their voice. And yeah. So that's why there's no narrator or anything like that because <laughs> they're going to tell you their story, and um, and so but it was very very tough to pull uh stories you know you have and and i know some of the players that are watching that are going to go why didn't you put this in and why didn't we put this in and you know so when you get down to it you got to figure out what's the theme of this movie and what are what's the overall vision the mo the the direction we want to go with it and you kind of go on that direction and you'll have some crazy stories and you want to put them in but they don't build to the bigger story um, they're great uh, side pieces, but they're not strong enough to kind of build. Do they, what, where does that connect to what you're going to watch next? So, so that was the s- stuff that you tend to pull. And it, it was really tough because there's some great, great stories in there from, um, different hazing techniques that they did on the guys. To, <laughs> I really wanted to see that. Not going to lie. I, I wanted yeah. to know, like, did they, did they beat the shit out of each other with like with soap? You know, in the sock, you know, like, like red, code red. <laughs> they duct tape them to a chair and, like, I don't know, do unforeseen things with their genitals or anything like that. You know, there could be a plethora of things that happen. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one, and um, oh, awesome. I'll tell you guys one, and um, I haven't told this on to anybody because, and when I told Scott Frost this story, he got told he goes, "Wait, they told you that." Like that one's not supposed to come out. So they had a thing called girthing and it was on whenever their birth, whoever's birthday was, and this was the defensive line. So you got Christian Peter, you got Jason Peter, you got, you know, the, the, the crazies of the bunch. And um, they would hold the guy down on their birthday and pull up their, their shirt. And so their stomach is exposed and they'd spit and do everything on their, stomach and then they rub their and then they take another player and rub their 
or I'm sorry, let me, I, I had that wrong. They would, one of the players, one of the defensive linemen would lay down with their stomach exposed and they put all <laughs> kinds of, you know, whatever they wanted to put on their stomach. And then the, whoever's birthday it was, they take their face and smear it all into that person's stomach. <laughs> Christian Peter's birthday. They thought it would be funny if someone decided to, you know, up the, up the ante from, you know, spit and loogies to, you can imagine. And it wasn't, it wasn't dog stuff. It was humans human stuff <laughs> and, oh, yeah, yeah. wow <laughs> here's shit in your eye i suppose yeah <laughs> oh my goodness very easy way to get pink eye that's for sure yeah yes it is <laughs> yes, oh it is. man well ladies and gentlemen oh. you heard it here first <laughs> Whew, Scott i've Frost. always wondered about he's that. been fired <laughs> right? i've always wondered about that because i was i i don't mean to sidetrack here but I was in the Marine Corps and there was some things that we did that I won't talk about. Um, mm-hmm. I was luckily, I never got the receiving end of it. Surprisingly, aside from just regular initiation type things. And, and those weren't that bad in comparison to what, what we would do sometimes. But yeah, there's some, there's some crazy stories. And I was like, a football team is no different. They're pretty militaristic with, with their initiations and their, their hazing and all that stuff. And, and so, but that, that definitely goes out of my scope of imagination. I, I, <laughs> that is something I would have never thought of. So, uh, yeah, that is awesome. I'm that, so that glad the, that I somehow walked into that. Yeah. The, the crazy <laughs> thing with that is like, and, and Scott kind of talks, talked to me about it after the interview, but, you know, it's um that stuff they don't really allow anymore. And some of that right. is no. as crazy and sick as it might be, but that's kind of the stuff sometimes you need. Um, oh, so yeah. it's a, it's a different environment. The big thing that he said, he said, you know, I would love to, you know, when he was talking, we were talking about, you know, I, you know, I asked him, are you going to apply some of the things that you guys did back then into practice now and how you guys practice and did these things? And he goes, I can't. The NCAA doesn't allow it anymore. You know, I can only have these guys in pads a certain amount and I can't have them hitting each other. He's like, back then when you went to practice, it was, it was on like your, their practices Mm -hmm. got to a point where they were more physical and harder than some of their games. So they'd get into the games and be ready to go. And that was a big, big part of that. (laughs) A lot of people don't know this, but Tom Osborne allowed free reign on the quarterbacks. They didn't have, I think, green jersey. No, that on, crap. Nope. Do the green jersey, but they didn't. Tommy Frazier, all those guys, full on, you know. And, um, yep. And that's built, a, that's what, why they were, I think, so tough and built that toughness. But you can't do that now. You know, it's totally different. Yeah. Which is why you've seen the advent of like the spread offenses and things like that. So you don't have all that near as much between the tackle and option run and those things where you get a lot of that getting beat up. Right. Um, so speak of, since you mentioned Scott, which was really kind of the whole animus of why I reached out to, uh, your Twitter account in the first place was with his dismissal this last Sunday, um, and any comments that maybe he would have made about the fan base back when he played on part two of the documentary, what, is that going to affect the final cut on part two at all? No, no, not at all. You know, it cool. was, he speaks directly to his experience during that time um he but he doesn't shy away from 
even as the head coach, he didn't shy away when he was the head coach. He was the head coach. We interviewed him. He didn't shy away from um, talking about the frustrations um, from the fans booing him to giving him a hard time to, um, to then when, you know, he kind of won the fan base over. He also tells some funny stories about, you know, things that probably didn't help him out showing up to, Nebraska getting off the plane and showing up to the <laughs> Stanford Letterman jacket. jacket. Yeah. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> right there. So, which is great, you know, and he ta- talks about it and laughs about it. Um, but yeah. no, like, um, <laughs> we don't, yeah, nothing needs to, it, it, he was very much yeah, a massive part of that team and that program. And his story is very, very important. It, you know, whether he was going to be the head coach or was ever a head coach, after that time, his story um, was going to be told and we were going to cover it just like we did. And so, um, no, it didn't doesn't have any f- effect on a movie two at all. OK, that's good. That's awesome. I appreciate that. And I'm sure he does, too. I think Scott Frost probably being the kind of guy he would would is would probably say, hey, don't cut any of that stuff out. It is who I am. So. You know, as as a fan base, it for me especially, I actually drove to Wood River a couple times to watch that guy play. Um, and I was heartbroken as just about every other Husker fan was when he decided to go to Stanford to play instead of coming to Nebraska. But once he got here, and other than the ASU game and the uh, first Big 12 championship game against Texas, he ran the offense about as, be- as good as any quarterback that Nebraska's ever seen. Ron Brown has said as much. Nobody ran the Osborne offense better than he did, especially in 1997. So in that light, uh, do you think the number of tickets sold for part two will be affected by the fact that he was fired by maybe a minimum of people who aren't happy that he was fired? Or do you think you'll still probably sell about the same amount just because people want to see what he has to say about playing for the Huskers? Yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, I I don't know. Um, I would hope that because it's about those specific teams, I think the I think specifically the Nebraska fans are going to want to see see the story behind that team. Hopefully, movie two leaves you really wanting to see and wanting to know what's going to happen next mm-hmm. with, with these guys um, on their journey. So, hopefully, not. I don't. You know, it's hard to tell if um, if they would want to not want to watch the movie because of his firing. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. It's interesting. Um, you I know, doubt it with films where they're going to go, you know? Right. I doubt right. it. I don't think, I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference because I, if I, if I were to try and gauge the climate of Husker football, I don't think that anything about the day by day documentary was primarily motivated by any sort of fascination with Scott Frost. I, I really think it just has to do with the nostalgia and the straight historian aspect of that era of Husker football. I know it's not going to make any, any difference in my decision to watch part two. I'm actually probably more interested in it now, uh, which is saying something because I was already hundred percent bought and sold waiting, waiting for part two to come out. Um, And especially Mm -hmm. now it's like, well, I kind of want to see. I want to see what was Scott Frost. <laughs> and I want to see it as was. soon as possible, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like I want to see what Scott Frost was saying. I want to know what what his mindset, what his experiences were then yeah. and now, and and his view on the Husker fan base. And 
all that. I'm I'm very curious, especially postpartum. You know, like he's he's gone, so um, yeah, nothing I can do to change that. But at the very least, I want to owe the guy the respect of of hearing his story a little bit more, and um, mm-hmm. maybe maybe shedding some light on some things that I didn't already know about him. So I look forward to it. And he yeah. he was really cool. You know, I thought being the head coach, he would be very reserved and probably not give us a whole lot. And he was very very open. He went into pretty much everything, you know, which I was really surprised and happy that he was willing to. to well, the, you know us. what, though? That's not a surprise because there's an awful lot of people in media that have said that other than injuries and opening practice, he's always been an open book. And it's usually as a head coach, it was his, it was to his detriment. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, a little bit too honest sometimes, sometimes a little too forthright, no doubt about it. And speaking of sooner rather than later, um, <clears throat> what do you think a release general idea of when the release date for part two will be? Was it going to be after the season sometime during the season, maybe next spring, early summer, like part one? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we, on this one, we're getting a lot of attention and so there might be a, a national theatrical release that's going to happen. Um, now, whether it'll go, it'll, it'll go into theaters over a thousand theaters. That's looking like across the country. Nice dude. The second one. So that'll be, and so it'll really determine like when the theaters are going to open it up to do that. Um, but yeah, we're pushing really hard to have this one coming out really quick. I mean, it would be great if we could, we could release it during the holidays, during that break. Ideally, if I, if I were to pick a time, it would be, Right after you know the Big Twelve, you know the big the big champion the conference championships and into the Bulls, so that like two week period right that there, that two three week period, yeah, yeah. that makes right sense. There, that would be perfect. So that would be ideal. I don't know if we'll be able to get it out that soon, as far as just the distribution side of it. The movie will be done, but but just the distribution side. So, but I would think cool. no one's going to wait past you know this spring. That would be really long. I don't. I don't think anybody wants to wait that long for it to come out. So <laughs> we're definitely trying to get it out before spring. Very cool. Well, dude, that's a, really about all we had for you tonight. Unless Scott, you had anything else you thought of you wanted to ask? Uh, No, no. Other than just uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on our podcast and, talking about especially some unexpected details like that was a that was a really good gem you threw in there um, yeah gem yeah we'll call it a gem yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh my goodness oh my goodness do you want to hang out with us justin you're more than welcome to you know i got some little kids i gotta put to bed but I, otherwise i would right, love dude. to you guys i really appreciate you guys having me on it's been a lot of fun and sorry for the the technical issues earlier it's all oh, good, no buddy. Kidding. All that matters is that the information got out there, and information is the most important thing. So we really appreciate your time, man. God bless, and we hope that this uh, part two exceeds all the expectations that you have for it, because uh, part one certainly exceeded mine, and I cannot wait for part two to come out. Thank Agreed. you, guys. I really appreciate right, it, and take care. All right, buddy. Hey, you Talk too, to you some other time. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that was an absolute blast. So 
As you all know, we have been talking about being part of uh, Team Jack Foundation, reaching out to us and all that good stuff. So instead of hearing me yammer on about it, because I don't know what to say half the time, I put together a little quick video for you. Check this out. So Taylor gets the shotgun set, gives it to Jack. Here he goes. He's got blockers out in front. Ten years of making a difference. It's an honor to be able to work with Team Jack to help tell Lamaya's story, to tell him that we need money for cures. And without them, we wouldn't be able to do that. There he goes. <laughs> running to midfield. Listen to this crowd. As Jack Hoffman. For ten years, Nebraska has stepped up to fight pediatric brain cancer. And the fight continues later this month. And it's just opening people's eyes pediatric brain tumor. A young man that, as I mentioned, has really been adopted by this football team to score a touchdown. Oh, wow. What a moment. And both benches empty. That, that was a moment right there. Wow. Goosebumps. The 10th Annual Team Jack Radiothon, September 29th, all across Nebraska. You know, sometimes life throws things at us that we're not expecting. So we all need blockers in front of us once in a while. So do your best to be a blocker for someone else. Go to teamjackfoundation.org and do your part to end pediatric brain cancer. Anyway, let's move on to, (laughs) I hate to make light of it, but the cancer that was the Oklahoma game. <laughs> oh God! It, it ultimately ended the career of our defensive coordinator, at least at Husker at, at uh, Nebraska. Anyway, going into it, I just happened to run up on a. I just I bought a membership to On Three to the Husker Online situation at On Three, which is like ten bucks for a year. Absolutely worth it. And oh, they had an that. article. Yep, absolutely, it's so worth it. Um, There was an article I was reading. I don't remember which one it was, but I've got a direct quote from it. And this was going into the OU game. It says, NU ranks 124th nationally in total defense. In comparison to some other historically bad Husker defenses, NU gave up 476.8 yards per game, which is 114th in the country in 2007 under Kevin Cosgrove and 438.1 yards per game which was 116th in the country in 2017 with uh, big old Bobby D. (laughs) If this trend continues, the 2022 defense will statistically be the worst in program history, which to me, as unprecedented as it is, you don't see programs do this. Like, for example, fire a head coach three games into the season and then fire their defensive coordinator the very next week by the interim coach. That tells me one thing. Mickey ain't playing. He wants the job. So he's making sure he's getting the dead weight out of the program that he needs to have out of there to hopefully make some things work. Because let's face it, Shenander's a power five coach or not a power five coach, but a group of five coach who hadn't figured out yet how to defend offenses in the power five. So Bill Bush is now our interim um, defensive coordinator. He's had some experience running defense or working defense. I know he's, if I remember correct, he was coaching safeties back in the day for Nebraska under Callahan when he was also the special teams guy, when our special teams was pretty good. Um, So I don't know what you think of that. Um, Me, I was surprised at the timing, but at the same time, I'm like, well, shit, Frost was dropped on a Sunday. Why not drop the other guy on a Sunday too? So 
Um, what did you think on that? I was expecting it to be honest. It was yeah. it was after the game, and I think I I casually mentioned it to you. I'm like, I think I think we're gonna get a <laughs> Shenander firing tomorrow, and you're like, I don't fucking know. Oh, no, don't know, uh, don't know. But I wondered. I wondered. I I I kind of expected it to happen because it's like you fired your head coach in in the after the third game of the season, it's like, might as well just clean house, just get rid of, get rid of the mm-hmm. thorns. And it's not going to make our season any better. I highly doubt it's not going to be uh, an addition yeah. by subtraction by any stretch of the imagination, but he's making CEO decisions right now. Mickey Joseph, that's who I'm speaking about making CEO decisions. Yes, sir. And he is putting his neck out there in such a novel way. Cause like my dad said, this doesn't happen. This doesn't right. happen. I don't know if it's because of the new age of college football. I don't right. know what the deal is, but whatever it is, it is Mickey Joseph going out. Like you said, I think it's him saying, I don't care. It's unacceptable. Accountability needs to be held. If, if there's a starter on our team that is not doing well, you know, you get put on the bench, you know, yeah. maybe uh Ben Hart should be put on the bench. Who knows? Um, uh, yeah. Well, you, you don't saw get what Mickey had to say at the press conference. Or everything's on the table. Yes, he as said, far we're as gonna, player we're personnel start is looking concerned. At, yep. we're going to start looking at younger guys because yep. at this point it's not working. Difference is, is you can put a player on the bench. You can't for your coordinator. You you're all That's in true. or nothing. You 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 either yep. perform or you pack your bags and you get out of here. Yep. And yep. so. Sorry, Chins. I know you did some good things for us. You gave us a good defense last year. You had a few average defenses. Statistically, maybe not the best, but from the eye test, it didn't look like our our defense underperformed from 2019 to 2021. They looked Mm -hmm. serviceable and okay. But this year, what were those numbers again, Dad? Could you read those numbers with the Bob Diago (laughs) and the and the uh, we're giving uh, up on Kevin Cosgrove. We're giving up. What did I look at today? Uh, as CFB stats has us giving up right now on defense, a total of 514 yards per game. Yeah. Over the four games. Um, it, back in 2007, it was 476.8. And that's what got, that's what got Bill Callahan fired. Cause you know, Osborne made it pretty clear. You got to go to a bowl game and you might not make a bowl game if your guy co- coaching your defense is still coaching your defense by the end of the year. And Bill Callahan yeah. didn't listen. Typical, you know, hey, I love loyalty, but when loyalty's hurting your employment status, eh, maybe there shouldn't be much loyalty. And then 438 yards per game with Bob Diaco. We're almost averaging 100 yards more per game giving up on defense this year than we did with the Diaco D, which, you know, you see the strain, right? Remember that comment? So uh, the ineptitude that we've seen on the field was just scary bad. <clears throat> so I'm never making predictions about our defense ever again. They have absolutely ripped my heart out. Like, dude, I remember after the Northwestern game, I was like, it was like, oh, I suspect that maybe Northwestern is just yeah. a better team than we're thinking. Yeah. Oh, no, no, they're not. Northwestern goes they on suck. to lose to Duke and then Southern Illinois. We were yeah. their most, we were the most, con- like, like, ugh, like if you're losing to Duke, which granted Duke is undefeated and they go to play an undefeated Kansas this week, which should be the college <laughs> yeah. game day. Uh, yeah. 
matchup, which I think would be hilarious, but they're not. They're going to like yeah. Tennessee and Florida or something like that. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, you've got Northwestern. They go on to lose to Duke and then Southern <laughs> Illinois. And then Georgia Southern goes and loses to University of Alabama, Burn- Birmingham. You and then be, we look yeah. like the biggest cupcake against OU when they had played, what, UTEP and Kent State? Yeah. Like, and struggled with them for the most part. At least Kent State, they struggled for the first half. So, yeah, this yeah. is just historically awful is what it is. And, you know, the stats don't lie. Stats no. don't lie. Let's take a look at the stats for OU just because it's so much far more fun to inflict more pain, right? Obviously, the score 49-14, uh, 312 rush yards. More than anything, that's probably got what Shenander fired. I mean, you can give up 268 through the air to just about anybody and probably win a lot of those games, but you're giving up 312 on the ground, done deal. Uh, Nebraska gave up or uh, gained 163 on the ground compared to 164 through the air. So, hey, our our offense was extremely bad, but very balanced. Very balanced. (laughs) Very balanced. And it was a total of 580 yards uh, for Oklahoma. So they didn't eclipse Georgia Southern, thank God, because they were kind enough about two-thirds of the way through the third quarter to just be happy handing it off to the back up the middle for the most part. So Aside from their fourth down attempt, wasn't very happy about that, but whatever. No, that was kind of a dick move. But 327 total yards for NU. Um, Time of possession was about the only category we won. We had the ball for 30 minutes and 24 seconds. They had it for 29-36. They had 31 first downs. We had 21. They had 10 of 16 on third down. We had six of 17 on third down, which tells you just how good Venables is at dialing up that pressure when they need it. Um, Talk about a dude that came in one freaking season, four games into his season, and his team is playing better on defense than they ever did under Lincoln Riley. The guy's brilliant. Um, Six for 65 and penalties for OU, and this is the other category we did a little bit better at with five for 40. So as we sat in the... (laughs) As we sat in the stands, it was like, what, eight minutes ago, seven minutes ago in the first quarter, we basically didn't stand up much, didn't yell much. It really wasn't worth carving up our vocal cords because we saw the way it was going almost yep. immediately after yep. after uh, Gabriel ran, ripped off that 61-yard run. And Sipple said it. I can't remember what was it the reaction show to Shenander getting fired. I watched the live stream and he said, it just looks like he was going down the field for a leisurely jog, just waiting for somebody to hit him. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. So anyway, yeah. Well, that's what I was. So that's what I was so pissed off about to you. I know you were pissed off when, when Gabriel took off and ran, but there were multiple guys that just looked like they were jogging. Cause they were like, Oh, I'm not going to catch up to him. Minimal effort. The yep. only person who was going to tackle him was that dude who was getting pushed 40 yards, 40 yards down the field. I don't know who it was that ended up making that tackle, but he couldn't get off the tackle. And basically the whole, the whole defense was just like, eh, we'll just hope that that guy gets him. It's like where, like normally when I see a team and there's somebody breaking off a huge run, there's always like three, four, five guys in frame that you can see they are motoring down the field because mm-hmm. they know for a fact that they're going to be held accountable in practice the next week if they mm-hmm. aren't sprinting down the field to make something happen. And I didn't see that. I didn't see that. I was so pissed. I'm like, why is nobody chasing after this guy? 
granted, you know he's still going to get 50, 40, 50, 60 yards, of course. You know he's going to yep. make that. But damn it, run. You lost this. You lost the right to just jog. You have no right to jog. You go after the motherfucker and you take him down. <laughs> if there was any doubt that the explicit tag was going to be applied to this episode, it was all ended right there. And I absolutely agree. <laughs> That's what pissed me off more than anything. Yeah, it was, it, you know what? Um, as much as I've ripped on Marquise Buford for missed things and missed tackles and getting beat in certain areas, there's one dude that doesn't loaf on defense. It's that guy. He's chased people down almost every week, it seems like. He made that touchdown saving catch against North or stop against North Dakota. He had a couple of picks against uh, Georgia Southern, including chasing down a running back who broke free to keep him from scoring. I mean, the guy doesn't loaf. I like Marquise Buford. I really do. I think he's got a good future. Everybody else. I'm not so sure. Um, I'm pretty sure part of the reason Schnander is uh, probably packing his bags and, uh, figuring out where he wants to go eat tonight or where he wants to go play golf tomorrow is because I think a lot of his defense may have lost some uh, confidence in the game plans he's putting together. Because they certainly, yeah. it certainly looked like from where we were sitting, just as casual fans, granted, it looked like they playing with their asses on fire for the first season or series. <laughs> I think, why not, right? Play with your ass on fire. You go out, you get a stop. We get the ball. We go right down the field. We score. We don't score again until the fourth quarter. And the defense, I think, went, well, holy crap and hallelujah. What we were just doing to stop them doesn't work anymore. Now what? And it didn't look like we adjusted our plan at all throughout the rest of the game. So so that was kind of, I don't know, those are kind of my general thoughts on the game itself. The offense was abysmal. Again, Ben Hart looked like a swinging gate uh, to let the cows out into the pasture kind of deal. <laughs> this was an awful lot of so bad. big, beefy dudes coming after Casey Thompson all day long. Um, Grant really didn't have much of a game. AJ looked pretty good, but they made almost all those yards on their own. And, yeah, they uh, always had to cut, out, cut to the outside. And mm-hmm. I, I hate to say this. A few yards. It, it pains me to say this, that I think maybe the better move would have been to keep Greg Austin around, because at least those guys knew how to do what he asked them to do, albeit badly. But, you know, there was at least some creases to run through. I mean, once once OU adjusted and figured out that that backside run, when we put all of our receivers on one side of the field, and then we'd hand off to Grant or Allen, and he'd go around the other side behind the tight end. Once they figured out how to stop that, we were done. We were yep. absolutely done. Um, so, and I noticed uh, I noticed that they were doing a lot of fake pressure up on the line. They would load sure. up like they were going to blitz, which happens all the time in college football and in yep. NFL. You you line a couple guys up in the box, and then maybe one or two of them actually go in for the blitz. And there were a lot of times there was a there's this great Twitter account. I don't remember if this is if this was your friend Geo who created it. I I feel like you said this was him, but it's what does the film say yeah. on Twitter? Is that yeah. what he created? That's Geo, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. good. It's good Twitter. I love sure. it. I love it. Sure, we're going to have him he, on again for sure. He point he he shows this one one play in particular, and I thought I saw this multiple times, which I meant to reach out to him like, hey, do you have more film of this? But what would happen is there would be two guys lining up on the outside, 
let's say it's the defensive end and then a linebacker lining up on the outside or a linebacker in the middle or whatever. One guy would take one step forward on Ben Hart and then take a step back and Ben Hart would already be committed to that guy who's who's lined up directly in front of him who just now took a step back and then the, mm-hmm. the other guy would just run right past Ben Hart because Ben Hart just has not been trained and does not have the discipline to pay attention to a little bit of nuance with the, with the defense. And they were lining that up and, and shredding us with it all game. Yeah. I, I was paying attention because I did not, after like the first four minutes of the game, I stopped paying attention to our specialists. I stopped paying attention to our safeties and, and wideouts. I was just zoned in on the lines because I wanted to see exactly what was so catastrophic. And it's, it's mind boggling how just on a, fundamental level and i don't know shit i don't know shit about football but one thing that i can tell just based on the eye test is that you have to have a plan a and a plan b in your mind as alignment all the time you've got your first assignment Mm -hmm. and then you have your second assignment and then you have your god forbid you have a third assignment sure it it looks like our offensive line has they have one dimension. You are assigned to your guy. And then if they do anything, anything that's outside of that prediction, they just, they just shit the bed. They just, yep. just don't know what to do. Don't know what to do. And it's like, they get a sweaty belly covered in crap rubbed in their face. Yes. <laughs> as Justin so eloquently put it. Yes. I'm so oh, glad we got that goodness. info. That was yeah. crazy. It was that not was expected. Beautiful. That. that was utterly beautiful. Um, and if any of you are watching now that didn't happen to catch the beginning of the show, it'll be available on demand very soon. That's kind of within the first 40, 45 minutes. He mentions that story and uh, it's pretty damn funny. Um, so let's just take a look at where Nebraska ranks. Like that. Uh, I'm done. I'm closing the door in Oklahoma. We don't really need to talk about it much more. It is what it is. And uh, so we're just going to take a look at the state of the team for the rest of the show and kind of some, a comment that a player made as well about what we're, what they're doing in practice. But um, so where Nebraska ranks on um, statistics, defensive rankings, we'll start with the bad uh scoring defense ranked 115th in the country we are ranked 14th in the big 10 at 35.5 points per game rush defense 124th in the country 14th in the big 10 no surprise at 233.5 yards per game pass yards per game we're ranked 115th 13th in the big 10 guess what northwestern is behind us why the hell didn't we throw the ball on them more I'll never know at uh, 280.5 points per game. And then total defense were ranked 128th in the NCAA, which is 14th in the big 12 for at 514 yards per game. As I said before, if there's literally a group of five cupcake, if we're, if there's ever a reason why you send a defensive coordinator packing after four games, there's four of them right there. No ifs, ands, or buts. I don't care if that's a voice the kids are used to hearing in the room. Something tells me the kids in the room are used to hearing that voice, and they're not really too afraid of what that voice is telling them anymore So, or too motivated to do anything about it. So good to get a new voice. God knows Bill Bush is a fiery son of a gun, just like Mickey is. So I have a feeling we might see at least maybe not better results, but better effort. I don't know what that looks like, 
But uh, here's hoping we can get to two and three when Indiana rolls into town a couple weeks from now. Uh, any comments on on those defensive rankings, other than the fact that yeah, that's what we seen we've seen on the field on Saturdays, right? It's it's just so like I would have never guessed. I would have never guessed that we would have taken this far of a step back to yeah, statistically being projected, looking forward to be the worst defense we've seen in Cornhusker history. Like it is so abysmal and so bad, and. Yeah, get him out of here. Like, it's most likely going to get worse before it gets better from this point. Like, if we think this is bad, like, <sighs> do I think Bill Burt, do you think, do I think Bill Bush is, is going to make some changes? Do I think there's going to be some changes with Mickey Joseph being head coach? Sure. But it's not going to happen today. It's not going to happen in this bye week. It's, sure. it's not going to happen leading into Indiana. And it, we probably won't see any fruit from any of these decisions for the rest of the season, unfortunately. Um, will we? Maybe. Uh, but I'm not holding my breath. Um, so, yeah, I just I hope that Bill Bush can at least instill some discipline. Maybe maybe we don't have the X's and O's quite where we want them to be. All right. So be it. But can we at least <laughs> coach some discipline yeah. and coach some tenacity and, and a killer instinct, like at the very least start there. Cause God, as I said in our podcast last week, I don't care if you're doing the wrong thing, as long as you're doing it a hundred miles per hour, like yeah, go tentative and slow. Yes. And, and you, and you said that you pointed that out. They were like, that looks like a team that that's given up. It just, mm -hmm. it was like, I think it was after uh, either the second or maybe third touchdown OU scored. And you just see our special teams going out onto the field to receive a kickoff and no energy. And they, they, they just looked defeated and there was no energy. There was no killer instinct. No, nothing. Yep. It just, they just they just given up. It reminds me of the the Mike Riley era where it was like once they once once it looked like their cards were dealt and they had no way of changing them, they just gave up and just were like, Well, let's try and survive the next forty five minutes of this game and uh and then just work on go back to the white the drawing board, you know, go back to the whiteboard, see what we can figure out next Sure. Year. Sure. But I I hear you. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's what it looked like to me too. Especially <clears throat> once the offense was kind of stymied by by OU's defense, they looked pretty pretty down on the mouth too. But that's kind of been the bright spot for this season. Which I don't know if I expected us to be as decent and as as on offense as we were going into this game. But we were anything but decent on Saturday. We had it. We had their moments. Had their moments. But for the most part, it was just the typical script. Other than the Georgia Southern game, Nebraska has gone right down the field on their first drive every single game and most of every game that Scott Frost coached as head coach because they're great when they're on script. But once the defense figures out, based on your script, what you're planning to do on offense, they don't know what to do to make it still work once the defense adjusts, and that was what happened on Saturday. But up to this point in the season – Nebraska is ranked 78th in the country in scoring offense at 30.5 points per game, which puts them at 10th in the Big Ten. Rushing, they're 49th, <clears throat> excuse me, which puts them at 7th 
in the Big Ten, which is the highest ranking they get for offensive categories in the Big Ten. That's 193.5 yards per game. Passing, they're ranked 51st in the country at 257.5 yards per game, which puts them at 10th in the Big Ten, much like scoring. And then they are ranked 49th in the country in total offense at 451 yards per game, ninth in the Big Ten. I don't know. You've got some games in the Big Ten that you maybe can start to bolster those numbers. I don't think Indiana plays much defense. Uh, They had to pull out a last-second win last week. Um, I don't think Shinano's defense is going to be pretty stingy, but at the same time, I don't know if that talent level matches what we do, but good God, if our defense can't stop anybody, that game might be a coin flip. Flip, or I might just look at it and go, yeah, we're going to go to New Jersey and we're going to get beat. I, I just don't know what to think. But um, this is the hill. This is the hill that Mickey Joseph or whoever the next head coach is going to be will have to climb. <clears throat> but before they can climb that hill, they got to figure out the tackling issue. I mean, right out of the yeah. gate. they got to figure out that tackling issue. And I thought it was interesting watching uh, Miles Farmer talk at the press conference earlier today. I didn't catch it yesterday, but I'd heard about it. And I thought, hmm. So I watched it. He was rather petulant. He stood there. Most of his comments were kind of directed at the press in a sense that y'all don't know what we do in practice. You don't understand what's going on. You just all you do is sit here and talk to me and expect me to give you answers, blah, blah, blah. Kind of kind of being kind of a jerk, really, in my opinion. Um, and then he says, but y'all gonna get to see what we do in practice on Saturdays. So and my first thought was, well, holy shit, yeah, we have for four weeks now, and you don't have a defensive coordinator anymore because of it. But that's neither here nor there. He didn't know Shenander was getting fired the next day when he made those comments. But uh, here's what he had to say specifically about tackling. This I thought was quite interesting. Uh, we did. We had more one-on-one periods, ones-on-ones. We had more live periods. It's not going to happen overnight, you know. We've been tagging off for four years. Oof. <laughs> Yeah, it shows. <laughs> yeah, we it can shows. tell how in the world Shenander was able to scrounge up an even remotely decent defense <laughs> for four well, years you, blows my mind. Well, well, you know, and, Ju- and Justin did mention it when we were talking to him earlier that what you can do in practice now and the amount of time you can actually be in full pads is completely different than it used to be. So figuring out how to allot that time into full pads and be able to practice tackling every day, that's a little bit of a chore. It's way more of a chore than it used to be. I mean, I used to, I remember Terrell Farley talking about that on Facebook and in some of the um, Husker groups I'd been in in the past where he said, yeah, it used to be practices were way tougher than games. We'd walk out on the field in games. We'd just walk over to the opponent. We'd look at them and they already looked like they were beat. Because we knew these guys can't hang with us. There's no way because we beat the daylights out of each other every day. Um, you know, and Rob Zadiska, I don't remember if I've mentioned it on this podcast before, uh, but Rob Zadiska has said it on his show numerous times. If you're not beating each other and hitting each other and knocking each other down and getting bruised and bumped and banged around, your muscles don't know what it's like to have to go through a football game yet. Mm-hmm. So it takes about halfway through the season. If you're not doing a lot of contact drills in practice to really get acclimated to playing football. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we're at. 
What did you, <laughs> that statement by Farmer was just like, well, yeah, no shit. That's kind of what we've been seeing on Saturdays. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of, I, I don't know. I don't know. Put on my conspiracy theory, like, tinfoil hat. It's like, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe our guys gave up on Shenander. Who knows? <clears throat> Who knows? I, I don't know. I don't know. Sure, right. it, 17, 2017 sure looked like they quit on Diaco. No doubt in my mind. I don't know. And, hey, let's give a little bit of credence to the fact that they are switching things up this year. They're really not running that full-blown 3-4. They don't have that big monster like Damian Daniels in the middle, so they're trying to run kind of a hybrid 4-3-4-2-5 kind of deal. And, whew, it's certainly been a rough start, no doubt about it. <laughs> Historically rough. Um, do you think – I'm just going to ask this. Do you think a bowl game is even possible or is this defense – too far gone, even with Bill Bush taking the reins to even win another game or two. What's no, your read I, on it? I don't think so. I don't. I think we're going to be hard pressed to win two more games this year. I don't. I think we, if we're lucky, we get a three and nine season again. I just don't. I don't sure. see this ship turning quickly. I I see it being one of those years that is devil in the details it's like he it's gotta suck it's gonna have to suck because our guys are gonna need to know this is what it's like when everything falls apart and you're gonna ha- you're gonna have to wait till the off season we're gonna have to wait till the off season till we get the guys in here that we want to get in here and you're just gonna have to lose you're gonna have to lose and you're gonna have to lose hard i have a feeling we're gonna have a lot more blowouts i don't think i i'm not looking forward to michigan I am not looking forward to Wisconsin. I am, and we're going to Wisconsin. And I am, and no, I'm just Wisconsin's at home. Yeah, I mean, no, like we, like oh, we're we, going to the game. Yes, yeah, we're so going we get to the game. The, yes. Yeah, it'll be like watching a slaughter. But who Shoot, knows? I'm you not even. Know? I'm. I'm not even. I'm not even sure if 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 Purdue isn't going to end up being a blowout. Like it could be. It could be abysmal. I mean, just reading it as it is, face value, it that. Like if things stay exactly the way that they are, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good at all. And in theory, could things change? Could could there be a shift? Sure, potentially. But I'm not going to hold my breath on that. And I don't think that. I don't know. I well, I I I think we're going to lose a lot. If you if you want some hope for maybe having a shot at beating somebody like Purdue. They are number 13 in the conference in rushing offense. Yes. Maybe, maybe we'll hold them to less than 250 and have a shot. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> a, a man a man can dream. <laughs> I'm just I'm just hoping this is this is my hope. I hope that Venables has a really, really good defense. Kind of like what I said about Northwestern, which I might just yeah. be damning myself now. Is like i I had the hope that. Maybe Northwestern was a better team than I thought. Maybe it, mm-hmm. those two tune-up games that OU had prior to coming into coming into Lincoln, that was their tune-up games. And Venables is going to have a really great defense with this OU squad for the rest of the year. Sure. Um, and if that's the case, we might have just seen one of the top three or four defenses that we're going to see for the rest of the season. And it's possible. And if that's the case, then okay, maybe, maybe we have a hope. 
Um, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's honestly, it's just going to have to play out. We're going to have to see what, what actually transpires, um, for these coming weeks. I think it's great. This is one of the few times we've joked about it multiple times and Husker nation jokes about it all the time. Bye weeks have not been Nebraska's favorite thing. Um, no. we always lose after a bye week, which do I think we're going to lose against Indiana sneak peek spoiler no alert. Idea. Yes. I think we're going to lose against Indiana. Um, (laughs) But this gives them very precious time to work with Bill Bush. And, ah, shoot, who's who's our new wide receivers coach? What's that guy that (sighs) – Cass something. CEO or something like that. Yeah. Um, It'll give the guys time to gel. Two weeks. Gives them two weeks to kind of feel a little bit. something like that. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I yeah. I had it saved, but I'm not going to go through my my phone pictures because <laughs> I got too many of those. But um, uh, it's it's one of those things where it's like you know maybe this bye week is going to help us. Fingers mm-hmm. crossed, just to gel, just to get an idea, sure. get their bearing. Because right now they are even further into the desert. To bring back the metaphor I brought up last week, they right. are they are they are lost, and so. Maybe if they can bring some semblance of stability and camaraderie for the next two weeks and freaking mm-hmm. tackle in practice. And, and like, you, like you were saying earlier, you know, it's like, it's really hard to work in the NCAA with, with what you can and cannot do, but there are clearly programs that have figured out to get peak results out of what they are given. Yeah. And clearly Frost and company were not willing to look at other programs and other regimes and see exactly how they were maximizing the potential with, with what the NCAA gives them. So hopefully Mickey Joseph and hopefully Bill Bush mm-hmm. and hopefully all the, all the assistants and analysts that he's got working around him right now can look out into the ether gather that information and start mm-hmm. to replicate what it is that successful programs are doing in their practices in order to get their guys ready. Cause I'll tell you what, there's a reason why Alabama is Alabama and Georgia mm-hmm. is Georgia and Clemson is Clemson is not just because of talent. Clearly Nebraska's got talent, but they suck. So these other teams, if they, they're taking talent and they're developing to the next level using some sort of, sure. of methodology and practice and, Nebraska's got to figure that out. They got to figure it out real quick. Yep. And I think Mickey Joseph has seen what a successful methodology looks like in in his LSU, you know, four or five years at LSU with that 2019 team being unbelievably good on both sides of the ball. So I think he's experienced it. He's seen it. He and Bill Bush saw it together, worked on it together. And both of them said in that locker room after the national championship game, how cool would it be to be able to do this in Lincoln? Uh, Here's hoping that they both get to stick around or that Mickey ends up figuring out how to get some wins out of these guys and actually earns the job. That would be really, really cool. But in case he doesn't, everybody's talking about this name. Well, not everybody, but there's quite a few Husker fans out there. And even I've mentioned his name. We talked about him as we were leaving the stadium. I don't think it happens. I don't think a guy like Urban Meyer is someone that Trev Alberts is going to look at. But you never know. Who knows mm-hmm. where where Urban Meyer's at in his journey of possible redemption? I have have no idea. I just know for me he's a big no because to me the gamble as to whether or not he's 
squeaky clean or he's he's cleaned himself up or whatever is just not worth the w's it's not um too much involvement and sketchy stuff for too many years but everywhere he's coached he's always won big and i know that but it was once he got to the power five level he had two jobs at florida and ohio state that had built-in talents in the state that they were at five stars falling off of trees if you will and that's just not true here so I don't know if Urban can win here at the level he won at Ohio State and Florida. I think he wins at that 8-9, maybe once in a while a 10-game winning situation. But then God knows if he's going to suddenly develop another <clears throat> medical issue that makes him need to retire again so that I guess they don't catch him in the local strip joints. Um <laughs> And uh, but nine wins back in the day wasn't good enough for Solich or Polini. So who knows? I don't know if Trev wants to take that big gamble. And a guy, you know, we know about Aaron Hernandez and a couple other dudes on that Florida team who are just absolute scums, uh, murdering pieces of crap. So hopefully he's learned his lesson. But at the same time, it's going to be really hard for me to be a Husker fan objectively and just really root for my team and see that guy on the sidelines. It just for me, it's a no. But and I'm know. and I'm and I'm in the opposite camp. I yep. do I, I do I are. do I do I I judge harshly on his, on his character, but at the same time, I tend to be a little bit more of a give give anybody the benefit of the doubt, even to my own fault. And I've said this to you. I said this to you on uh, well yesterday. You know, is like there are two kinds of coaches. There are coaches who have baggage and they have blemishes and then there's coaches who haven't been caught. And do I think that there are good coaches out there who run a clean program that do everything right, Mm -hmm. follow some set of morals? Yeah, maybe. Um, But there's a lot of dirty stuff that goes on in football. And, and, and I just, I think that a lot of it has to do with how tight is your ship, you know, like, Sure. Did Urban run a tight ship at at Florida? Actually, yes, he ran a pretty tight ship because most of the stuff that happened happened after he left. And Ohio State's a little bit different. That was kind of one of those he looked the other way and, mm-hmm. and didn't really say much. And and I, I look at it, we've dealt with that already. We've dealt with that with 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 Bo Pliny. We've dealt with that. I mean, even with Mike Riley, there was some controversy there in just the sure. lack of, of, of attention that they were giving to players or individuals. And same thing with Tom Osborne. There's so much crap that, yeah. that he did for the greater good per se for, you know, potential that he saw in his players and giving them the benefit of the doubt, even to his own fault. And sure. I mean, I watch, I watch urban on, you know, big noon kickoff and I watch him in videos and stuff like, He's a bright guy. He he seems like a guy who is like any other guy. You know, he's he knows football. He's got no a skeleton. He's got his skeletons in his closet. That's that is no doubt. Is it going to bring a blemish to our program? Sure, it could. Um, but at the same time, it's like beggars can't be choosers. You know, it's like it's like if we were to if we were to be given the opportunity to get. If we were, let's just say, hypothetically, we're like, we're going to get Nick Saban, right? Nick Saban's like, all right, Alabama, peace out. And he comes to Nebraska. I guarantee you that there will be 
dozens, if not hundreds of whistleblowers that are going to be like, well, guess what Nick Saban did behind the scenes here. There's no doubt in my mind that Nick Saban is a piece of shit. There's no doubt in my mind that Bill Belichick is a piece of shit. There's no doubt in my mind that any anybody who's run a really, really tight ship doesn't just run and rule with an iron fist and tries to keep everything swept under the rug. And so right. if Urban comes here, it's like, all right. I'm I'm gonna be skeptical, of course. I I just I'm just not willing to say that just because he has a bad past doesn't mean that Nebraska should try and mm-hmm. have a holier than thou mentality and and think that we are a blemish free program that hasn't done sketchy. Oh, shit I know we're past. not. I know um, we're not, but we're inviting them with that guy, and that's fine. Yeah. We can disagree on it, and that's fine. I've got no issue with it, uh, with your opinion at all. And I mean, I'm pretty sure most of the folks that want him here in the kind of the same in the same camp as you are as far as eh, you know look back at lawrence phillips and all those guys back in the day when we actually won games you know yeah i get it completely get it um but i would i would if i were to prefer if i were to pick up a like if i knew for a fact that we could get a coach that was going to give us wins and give us stability and give us development and they came with a clean slate of course i would take that over urban Mm-hmm. Every day of the week. But as soon as you start to go down that list too far of potential coaching hires and it gets it, it's like, I just, it's, it sounds, it sounds, it's, this is shitty. This is shitty to say, but it's like, I just want to win again. Yep, and I hear you. if it comes, if mm-hmm. it's, if it's one of those shitty situations where it's like, I gotta, I gotta hire a, a crappy coach, you know, a person who's got a past. All right, so be it. As long as we're winning, I suppose. Yeah. Um, it's just as long as it doesn't just completely implode on itself, which that's the reason why I think that Trev Alberts wouldn't ever go with an Urban Meyer. Do I think we'd hire Urban Meyer? Not really. No. Would Probably I be okay not. with it? Sure. I'm I'm more willing to say I'm 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 okay with it than not okay with it. Um but I think, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Trev Alberts, based on the the, the the rubric that he has kind of laid out about what he's looking in a coach. I don't think that Urban Meyer fits that very well. And honestly, I would really lose respect for Trev Alberts if he went out and hired Urban after what he said about what coach mm-hmm. he's looking for. Because it yep. just it doesn't necessarily line up exactly with what he describes in a potential coach. Yep. I completely agree. I think you've I think you've nailed it. Um I think you've nailed it. No doubt about it. So let's get to one more thing here. I've just got to play this real quick because it's coming up not too long from now. A couple more weeks, folks, you can uh, join in the fight against pediatric brain cancer. September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, and the Team Jack Foundation needs your help in the fight against pediatric brain cancer all this month. Listen for ways to join the fight, culminating on September 29th with the 10th annual Team Jack Radiothon, presented by the Home Agency. There is so much more that needs to be done when it comes to brain cancer research, and I am so grateful for the Team Jack Foundation. Get all the details at teamjackfoundation.org. Well, that pretty much wraps up our show tonight unless you've got a few more thoughts that you didn't quite get out yet scott on any of the topics fun facts baby let's do some yeah, fun yeah, facts yeah. 
Fun facts. Yeah, no, I don't. It. I don't have. I don't have <laughs> any anything else to say. Uh, still kind of disoriented more than yep. anything about. There's just so much change. So much change going on in the Husker program right now. And just hang tight, Husker Nation. We'll get through it. Um, that's just my final thoughts. Oh, Got to stick together through all kinds of weather. So. I'll start off with a fun fact real quick is that is the last three games I got to see. I actually got to see them. <laughs> uh, it's, it's this is the back first back season back back. with my new eyes that it's just amazing what I can see the stuff I can read sitting clear down in six thirteen in that Southwest corner and I can, or Southeast corner, whatever it is. And I can still see the jumbotron and see all the statistics and stuff on the jumbotron with no, no glasses, nothing. I, I just, I'm just blown away by how much nicer it is to live with uh, without cataracts. So that's my fun fact: is I am really enjoying seeing the games, although the product kind of <laughs> sucks a big one. But uh, anyway, how about you? Uh, fun fact about me: it's not really fun. It's not really a fact. It's just like it's just a thing, a niche that I think I'm getting into. But then again, I tend to, uh, I tend to. I don't know, hyper fixate on things and then quickly lose interest in them over time. So who knows? But uh, I, I think I think I'm starting to like camping and I think I, I, I really love nature. I love the outdoors. Um, I like it seldomly. You know, I'm still a homebody. I'm introverted. I like to be in my own space and just kind of zone out most of the time. But when I get the opportunity to go experience a novel, uh, a novel uh, geographic location in the United States. Like it's something I really love to do. Uh, cool. recently for, it was Memorial day weekend. We had went out to, uh, somewhere, uh, North of the Ozarks and we went camping, we went hiking. It was miserable. It was amazing, but it was miserable because we, we, we bit off a little bit more than we could chew. I had about a 65 pound pack uh, my buddy had a 75 pound pack and my wife had a 35 pound pack and round trip. It was just over 13 miles uh, Yikes. Yeah. and it had an elevation difference of a thousand feet. So we were up, down, up, down, serpentine, serpentine. And then we finally got down in this holler next to a really beautiful, clear, uh, Creek that was just like flowing water, beautiful sounds, just tucked away neatly in this beautiful little area. And uh, it was just an amazing experience, amazing spirit experience all around, especially the food that we got to make. We brought some food with us that we were able to cook and it was, we had like spaghetti and meat sauce. Like it was incredible. Um, but this weekend, my wife and I are going uh, camping uh, over at Platte River State Park. Um, cool. This time it's not going to be a 13 mile hike. We are, we are going to be maybe a hundred yards away from, from our car. And then we're going to set up camp and then go hiking. That was the thing that we learned is that hiking is fun when you're not carrying 65 pounds of, uh, essential gear. So, um, yeah, we're, we're going to go do that. And I'm really excited because last time I'd been to Platte Valley state park was probably in my early teens for some church, Bible camp thing that I did. I might've been, I might've been in middle school. I don't even know. Um, so we're really excited to go do that. Um, I, I'm really starting to like camping. I'm starting to get all of my own stuff cause we're borrowing a lot of the gear from my father-in-law. And so 
Nice. Come come this uh come this spring, we're gonna go camping again. Same thing in the fall. Good. And then I really want to work my way up to do a sub zero camp. Um that's Oof. something that I that I'm that I'm I'm looking forward to doing. Um go out while it's snowing, bring all of the cold weather gear that you need and just buckle down for a night um out somewhere and just really experience nature at its fullest fuck you. So um <laughs> yeah the fullest there, thank you. love it <laughs> yeah yeah i apologize it's been a little no, bit of a good. fired up stream but i mean <laughs> there's no good. way to put it i mean <clears throat> nature can just they can just it, you over yeah no doubt yeah. about it yeah, yeah so i'm gonna work i'm gonna work towards that but i think it's i think it's a i think it's therapeutic um but yeah so that's just a fun fact about myself if anybody out there knows tips tricks youtubers that you like podcasts that you like about the outdoors um please hit me up on twitter send me a dm with with your with your resources and and yep. get me into the fold of that's his that's his twitter handle right over there yep twitter handle <laughs> at scott gen red pod um so reach out to me really interested in it you know i'll do it very seldomly probably only two or three times a year but just enough to invigorate my soul and revitalize yep. me so Yep. Uh, yep. That's just a fun fact about myself. Very cool. Well, that pretty much wraps up this episode. Many thanks to Justin Lapara. If he happens to see this later, thank you so much, sir, for coming on and talking about day by day documentary, as well as giving us some interesting insights, <laughs> very interesting insights into some of the stories from part two that may not actually make it into the movie, but they made it to the podcast. And that's kind of cool. Oh, We're going to get so uh, many views on YouTube with that <laughs> one. I hope. I think I think I think that might be a YouTube short. We'll have to see. Um, anyway, if you want to follow us on YouTube, it's at GenRedPod, and that's also at GenRedPod on Facebook and Twitter. Just go to GenRedPod.com where you can find all the links to our social media. You can interact with us there. You can also listen to the show in audio form only, which will be available. This one will be available as of 8 a.m. Central Daylight Time tomorrow. Just search for Generation Red in your favorite podcast app and make sure you subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe and like this video and also click that bell so anytime we go live, YouTube will let you know. Anyway, until next time, my name is Ken. He's Scott. Together we're Generation Red. And no matter what anybody tells you, I know you're going to say it, so I'll just say there's no place like Nebraska. There's no place like Nebraska and Iowa's corn still sucks. And especially at one thirty in the morning when <laughs> they have to play a game. Cause after, lightning. Yeah. I honestly, okay. I will never, I will never give credit to Iowa for any reason other than this is <laughs> props to any of you for staying and trudging that out. Yeah. Props to you guys like that. If there's anybody who's as crazy of a fan base as Nebraska, it's obviously Iowa. But, yep, yep, Iowa's corn sucks, and go Big Red. We will see you next week.